Hi, I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Cantrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. And on this episode, we are talking about a longtime director, a favorite of many, Tim Burton. Yeah, he's one of my heroes. Specifically, the reason we're talking about him is that The Corpse Bride came out this month. How many years ago? Again? 16. And that film was one of his claymation. Stop motion, actually. Similar in manner to The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. And uh, which we've talked about Nightmare Before Christmas on this podcast plenty of times. But yeah, yeah. Tim Burton also worked on that one as a producer, I think. Yes. And we're going to talk about his unique films and shows he did that are dark, quirky, and gothic, and also are known for being kind of scary, especially for, for the younger audience. Indeed. But before we get to that, let's answer last week's trivia question, which was, who was originally going to play the voice of King Louis in the original Jungle Book film? That was Louis Armstrong. But because they didn't want to offend people, like with black stereotypes, mm -hmm. they decided it should go to Louis Prima, and Prima instead because of the controversy that would recede to black person voicing an ape. So they did Louis Prima instead, so he thought they thought he would be more respectful for the role. Yeah, because unfortunately there is a stereotype of black people in general being portrayed as monkeys or apes. And uh, that's just something they wanted to avoid. But it is a pretty interesting bit of history about that film. And now, let's do a segment. Let's do Name That Song. who scored the music for the Batman theme is the one and only Danny Elfman, who is famous for scoring many things, including many Tim Burton movies, as well as many other films and shows in general, including the Simpsons theme song. Yeah, Danny Elfman has had a really oversized impact on media, whether it's shows or, or movies. I think for casual moviegoers, they don't necessarily pay attention to who's composing the music, but he is definitely one of the best in the industry. Obviously, his, his Batman theme is iconic. He also did music for Nightmare Before Christmas and Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland, and others. On that note... Why don't we get to our feature presentation? So Tim Burton was born on August 25th, 1958 in Burbank, California, which is actually pretty close by to where we are based, Ezra. Yes, and I've been in that area in that city, and I've been in, especially in the Disney Studio lot there. Indeed. Yeah, he, he grew up. Very close to the Disney Studios. Also Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers. It's funny because he was always, it seems like he was always drawn to filmmaking. Uh, when he was a kid, he would make like little short films on his uh, 
home video camera. And he also he would create kind of stop motion films as well with his with his camera. So he did a lot of a lot of things like that when he was very, very young. Hmm. And then obviously later on, he pursued filmmaking as a calling. He's a creative genius. <laughs> to say the least. And it's it's funny that you mentioned Disney because actually his first job within Hollywood, within filmmaking, was working as an animator for Disney Animation. He worked on The Fox and the Hound and The Black Cauldron. He also had little minor work in, in Tron. Right. The live-action film which was the first to utilize 3d computer animation yeah but his big break and and he would work on short films here and there but his big break was working as the director for peewee's big adventure which was interestingly not even that dark or creepy or scary and i suppose before we go forward maybe we should talk a little bit about tim burns style because it is pretty iconic and unique so could you describe for people who may not be familiar or may not recall, what like, what is his style like? Quirky, strange, a little absurd, kind of creepy and in a way with combining cultures. What do you mean by that? Like horror, for instance, or more like fantasy or dark fantasy with maybe... Uh, I think what you mean, what you're trying to get at is that he, he juxtaposes really interesting genres. So like... Nightmare Before Christmas is a very good example of that, where he takes the Christmas movie format and the Halloween movie format and just smashes them together. But then you also see things like in Edward Scissorhands, where that's set in this really boring, cookie-cutter, suburban neighborhood. And then you have this really weird, radical element of, element of Edward Scissorhands himself, who is really pale and is scarred over and he literally has scissor hands. Yeah. And and it's very creepy and lots of horror elements in that. But then he's placed into a boring suburban neighborhood and that, that contrast is really interesting. Yeah, I get it. I understand. I know Beetlejuice has a lot of those interesting dark themes to it. Mm-hmm. And that was also the first film that he worked with Michael Keaton on. Yeah, I see. Yeah, where he played the title character and it starred Alec Baldwin, I remember. It had Beetlejuice, where you'd say, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. And he comes out, the go that ghost, the titular ghost character comes out of his grave. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, you can't say it three times. The moment you say it three times, he appears. There were parts of it that had stop motion animated sequences and elements i remember like the giant snake yeah so but i also think even though tim Byrne does draw on a lot of horror elements i also think he's a very very comedic director as well there's a lot of humor in his movies and i think that's a good point that you know he creates these extravagant kind of worlds with these fantastic elements and everything and horror elements as well but there's definitely the the silly side of things to his films as well. I know Edward Scissorhands, which came out two years after Beetlejuice, was one of his films that starred uh, Johnny Depp. Right. Since you brought it up, why don't we talk about it a little bit? There are a few actors that he works with 
over and over across his movies, Johnny Depp is definitely one of those. Michael Keenan was one. His wife? Yeah, Helena Bonham Carter was in The Corpse Bride as well as Alice in Wonderland. And she, was she in uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Hmm. I might be misremembering that, but I think she played one of the moms or, or somebody. Yeah, she was actually, okay. yeah. He directed that film, which was the remake of the classic 1971 movie, based on the famous novel by Roald Dahl. Which, it should be noted that he credits a couple of people for being the biggest influences for his creativity. Roald Dahl is one of them, and the other one is Dr. Seuss. Interesting, yeah. So do, do, you, do you get any sense from watching his movies? Obviously, I think we could see the Roald Dahl impact if only because he adapted specific works by him like he also did produced james and the giant peach right but do you do you get any sense from any of his movies where where the dr seuss influence comes from yeah like nightmare before christmas like um, jack skellington probably got inspiration from the grinch mm. maybe his unique worlds in his films uh, fantasy worlds may have been inspired by the worlds of dr seuss's works Tim Burton also directed, I think it won many awards, called Big Fish, which came out around Christmas of 2003. Mm-hmm. He also Sleepy Hollow, which was based on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving, which is also one that starred Johnny Depp. And also Sweeney Todd, a horror musical. Right. Yeah, he's, he's, he hasn't had the biggest representation in the awards uh, so, like, Big Fish got nominated for a couple of categories for the BAFTA Awards, which is basically the British version of the Oscars. But he's got a handful of nominations for other things, like Frank and Weenie got a nomination for Best Animated Film. Frank and Weenie, the black and white stop motion film released in two, in October of 2012. And is loosely based on one of his, his one of his short films which from Disney, which first came out in 1984. Yeah, I think that... The first time he got critical acclaim was for working on that short, and that's kind of what what led him to bigger roles as the director for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, things like that. I know, and we also forgot to mention he directed Dumbo, the Disney's 2019 remake, as well as Dark Shadows 2012, based on the based on the classic soap opera from the 1960s and 70s. Oh, and also Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children based on the 2011 novel. Ezra, I, I think this is interesting to talk about because I think you mentioned before that his films aren't really suitable for younger audiences, but they do, there are a lot of elements of childhood, weird, quirky fantasy stories in his movies that would seem to perfectly align with younger audiences. But I'm saying for kids, maybe like slightly older kids and teenagers, mm -hmm. maybe not for four or for five-year-olds. I'm curious, like, what was the first movie by him that you saw? I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the 2005 movie with starring Johnny Depp. I also saw The Corpse Bride. And what did you I, think about those movies? They were dark and interesting and kind of scary, and but very interesting and unique. Mm -hmm. I thought Corpse Bride wasn't nearly as successful or as popular as The Nightmare Before Christmas, but I thought it was fun and interesting. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory I loved. I know it was a little different from the 
classic film more people remember that starred Gene Wilder. But it was a bit darker than the original classic film we all remember. But I thought Johnny Depp was good as Willy Wonka. And I thought it had, the Oompa Loompas looked a little different than the remake too, because they weren't orange people with green hair. They looked a little different. And I thought it was a fun and also mouthwatering adaptation of Roald Dahl's story. <laughs> yes, there's certainly a lot of candy on display in that film. Yep. Uh, I was not a fan of it at all, really. Uh, I thought the original was much better. But I do think that Stories like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory really fit the kind of niche that Tim Burton has figured out for himself and, and really are great examples showing off his style. So if you like Tim Burton and his style, then you're going to like that movie just because it really leans into that. Also, Alice in Wonderland, Dis the Disney's live action remake based on Lewis Carroll's classic story and the remake of the Disney animated film from 1951. He also did a remake of Planet of the Apes, which is probably one of his most lampooned films. Yes, it had some canceled sequels, but it got rebooted later, a decade later, which was more successful and directed by someone else. So it's interesting because I think he, when he creates original content, he does really good. Like one of my favorite movies ever, not just of Tim Burns works, is Ed Wood which is this biopic about the titular Ed Wood, who was a B-film, even that's being generous, but a B-film director from, I think, the 1950s, 1940s, who made some of the worst, considered some of the worst films of all time. Hmm, interesting, huh? It's, which is, it was really cool to see Tim Byrne telling that story, because you could tell that those are the kind of movies that Tim Byrne himself grew up with grew up watching he grew up watching those bad b flick sci-fi films those bad b flick horror films and they definitely made an impression on him on him i know batman he, and batman returns were the two batman films he directed that starred michael keaton and those were interesting too i, I do you want to talk about them as they, they were some of the like earlier screen adaptations of batman Right, before that, there was Adam West's version of Batman, which was very hokey and comic booky. And this yeah. one was a bit more serious. I think I also remember Jim in the later ones, which were directed by someone else. Jim Carrey played Riddler. And, and I think it was an aesthetic that really was influential. The, the sequels for Batman that came out after, immediately after, but were not directed by Tim Burton, really tried to capitalize on that aesthetic style that Tim Burton created, but they definitely were not able to recreate the magic. Hmm, interesting. I, he also directed a comic science fiction film from 1996 called Mars Attacks. <laughs> yes. I remember Mars Attacks. I saw that as a kid, and what a ridiculous film. Yes, it had live action combined with stop motion elements. And it's very much a parody of those bad 1950s sci-fi films that I'm sure Tim Burton grew up watching. Which sci-fi movies now are better, and the sci-fi movies which people thought were bad then are now considered to be cult movies. Yeah, that's certainly... Well, that second part's true. I don't know about that first part. There, there You can certainly find plenty of bad sci-fi today. But there's a lot of good ones, too. That's true. It's a more respectable genre, I'd say, today. Yeah, yeah. 
Also, I forgot to mention one more that he mentioned Big Eyes, which came out for Christmas of two thousand of 2014 that he directed. I, like, years ago at LACMA here in L.A., the art museum, I saw an interesting Tim Burton exhibit. And I remember his unique quirky films, and I know how different they are from some others, and, and now how they might be dark and scary for younger kids, but they are all at the same time enjoyable and sometimes even funny and amusing. I think his movies are are the type of films that get better as you get older because you can really appreciate what he's doing, the kind of adult sense of humor you come to appreciate, but you still get the sense of the childlike wonder and fantasy that's really at the heart of a lot of his films. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your time. If you like what we do, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash animation and beyond. In the meantime, we have a trivia question from Ezra. Tim Burton's first live-action production, which disappeared and was thought to be lost soon after it aired, was based on a grim on a brother's grim fairy tale. Which fairy tale was it based on? Okay, so if you know the answer, give us a shout on Facebook or send us an email at animationandbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation and Beyond. Bye! See you later. (laughs) 